When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Are you frustrated and confused about how to attract new clients? Nothing you have done is working, and you're tired of waiting for the phone to ring. Imagine learning the tips and tools that will help you get noticed and booked by your ideal client and paid what you're worth for your amazing services. Now's the time to make your dream a reality, and the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will teach you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Hi everyone, welcome back to another show. This is episode episode 168. If I were to ask you, what plans do you have to exit your business? I'm sure a majority of you would respond, mm, we don't. It's not really something we tend to think about, is it, if we're really honest, until we get to the stage where we may like to sell our businesses or maybe a situation arises where we might want to hand the business over to a family member or whatever other reason that may arise. And my guest today is Denise Hall, and Denise believes we must start with the end in mind, regardless of how old our business is. And Denise is an ex-business owner turned business broker and exit strategist. And she specializes in the online and professional services space. She knows how to play the finish unfinished business and build an asset that is saleable like no other. And according to recent statistics from the Center of Women's Business Research USA, only 3% of women-owned business reach $1 million in revenue or more and include women who are also primary breadwinners, no doubt that percentage is even lower. And guess what? Denise is proud that she features across both of those categories. And in addition, Denise has sold her seven-figure corporate talent agency in July 2011 for fair market value. So blend this breadth of experience and execution together with her sense of humor, and you can certainly see why Denise is sought after. It's great to have her on today's show. And today, Denise is going to speak about how to start with the end in mind, regardless of how old your business is. And even though the term business is bandied about, are you building your business as an asset or is it just a job replacement? And asking that question, is your business saleable? So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. My pleasure to be here. Starting with the end in mind, you know, for many of us who do start business, whether it is because we've been made redundant or whatever the reason... Thinking about, okay, exit strategy and so forth, when we're just starting our business, doesn't always make that much sense. But So let's just dive in. When we do say that, when you do say that, what do you actually mean? Yeah, and that's why I say regardless of how old your business is, because what I know is, and especially working with a number of aspirational business owners and Mm -hmm. even startups, it's really hard to have a context around what the end can be. Mm -hmm until you're in it. Because especially when you're starting out, you think you know what you're building and you think you know what the business model is, but you kind of don't really until you've delved into it, you've tested things, you've measured things, you've 
changed, you've updated, you know, you tweak, you do whatever it is that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And quite often where you start, it isn't necessarily where it ends up going because the market looks after that for you yes. to some extent. So I think, you know, people talk about and the catchphrase of starting with the end in mind, it's difficult to do that from the start for the reasons I've just mentioned. Mm. But you'll get to a point where you think or know or feel I don't want to do this anymore. It's not, it's either not fulfilling why I thought I started it. It's taken me down a path I'm not that keen on, or I just want to go and do something else. And it's at that point, that's when you start thinking about the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Is it in a shape that I can do something with? Is it in a shape that somebody else might want to do something with? And what therefore should I be addressing in order to make it as attractive as possible because if I've spent time, money, effort, energy and my life in this thing and I've built it and it's actually kind of worked, I'm just don't want to do it anymore, Mm -hmm. somebody else may very well see the value in that. Then it's about shaping it into making it look as and renovate it, I guess, make it look as attractive as possible to a potential buyer. Mm. And, you know, as you're describing that, if I think back quite some years ago, I remember in the career space, that's where I spent quite a bit of time in my business. And I had a website and someone actually emailed me and said, look, I love what you're doing, been following you for a while. If you're ever thinking of of selling website and so forth, reach on out to me. I mean, obviously at that stage, I didn't want to. But then when I kind of switched focus, rather than, and being transparent here, of course, because I hope that someone listening today is not going to fall into the same trap, I kind of de-emphasized my attention and didn't really spend much time. Now, had I done what you've said, the start with the end in mind and really thought about what are some key components that I need to do, rather than letting that kind of business fizzle out, it very much could have been built into something that could have been saleable. And that's the thing. When we do change focus, something happens, maybe it could be the health reasons. Often then in that situation, it can be too late or because we haven't put the foundations in place, it's just going to take too long or and certainly wouldn't get the results that we may be looking for. No, that's right. And that's why I talk about finishing unfinished business because mm. every single business owner has a to-do list a mile long. Mm. You know, there's always something to do. You know, it isn't ever quite finished. There's yes. always, you know, the, whether it be the new fad or the new whatever, there's always something to do mm-hmm. and that to-do list is always there. But some of those things are not required once you click to exit mode, yeah? Yeah. So then it's about understanding what a buyer sees of value, shaping that into what, what is required and then that's what we take to market. And you're quite right. What invariably happens, and I see this all the time, is where the focus is shifted before the first one or the subsequent one is either finished or something is done with it. We just get bored or we Mm. want to move on to the next thing and we just let it fade away. Yeah. And to me, my view is that especially women, we're actually really quite creative, we're especially good at starting, we're actually really quite diligent in getting it to work. Mm Mm-hmm. But then we can get a bit bored or for whatever, as you said, health. Look, it can be for a whole raft of reasons. But what we do is we go chase the new thing before we actually finish off the old. Yeah. And then when whoever comes to me and says, Denise, I'd really like you to, can I sell my business? Had they come to me 12 months earlier when your traffic was up, Mm -hmm. your um, 
database was humming, you were making revenue, you might have even been a little bit of profit in there, that's a good story. Yeah. I can sell that story, mm-hmm. yeah. But when you come to me 12 months later and the traffic's declined and, you know, I'm not getting nearly as many sales through and the database hasn't really grown any, there is value in it but not the trend lines on these look quite different. Yeah, absolutely. And that really is uh, leading us to the next question which I'd love for you to explain a little bit more. So you describe yourself as a saleability specialist. So tell us more about that. Yes, yeah, so I will look at a business and I will put my what I call my buyer's goggles on mm-hmm. and I will basically go through certain attributes. I'm looking for certain things, things like, as I mentioned before, is there traffic? And whether that be an online or an offline business, yes. the terminology might be different but the principles are still the same. Is work coming in? You know, is there lead generation? Mm-hmm. How's that happening? Is there a database of not only clients and those that are interested, it could be opt-ins if we talk internet language, but is there a database that's growing? And especially too if you're dealing in even product or service, you're actually going to have a number of databases. So that's going to be about what is the quality of your buyer list or your the people that buy from you or use your services. What's the size of that list? But also I want to know about the quality. I want to know how clean it is. I want to know how what relationship you have with that list. That's actually the key is mm-hmm. the relationship you have with that list. But then you'll also have a supplier list, especially if you've got product, or you'll have a client list if you've got services. And then you may also have a referral list or other lists, right? So there's value in each of these lists. So then it's about what is the quality of the relationship you have with each of those. And then there's also the other metrics from a financial point of view, which is what revenue comes in, how profitable it is. Mm. I don't actually mind so much how you choose to spend your money, but what I need to see though is that there's good revenue coming in and there's the good profit there or the potential of good profit. Other things I'll look at is recurring revenues are biggie. Mm -hmm. Is it set up whereby it's not required for you to be out there selling all the time? Is the business wrapped around you? Because one of the key things from an exit strategy point of view is that I will, if I work with you, it'll be about getting you out of the way Mm. because, you know, really hard to sell something that you're the centre of attention. And I understand why people build it and so forth, but it's from a saleability point of view, it's, it's hard to do. So these are the kind of things. So even when you're working with um, coaches or growth-type experts, they're concentrating on different things for different reasons, Yes. right? So when I come in from an exit point of view, I'm looking at the same activities, the same things, but I'm looking at them from a different perspective. Yes. Because I know from a viability point of view, I think I made that word up, (laughs) but a viability point of view is that this is what I as a buyer am looking for. Yes, it really does. It makes so, so much sense. And I think one of the key things in there too, and I think a lot of people tend to forget about that, is about having those figures, the trackable, and also relationships, the list. And I think 
as you were saying, I mean, obviously the databases for your clients and so forth, but also suppliers, referrals, and it's such a great reminder that it's important to have this in place, not only as an ongoing to ensure efficiency and profitability in running your business, also for the fact of, you know, should you want to sell it down the track, that is certainly saleable. So you have in your experience, sold three businesses. So what would you say have been some key learnings that you've got now from from having sold those three? Yeah, so certainly from selling my three of my own and plus I've now sold many more on behalf of other people as a broker, which is why I really do raise this question about starting with the end in mind and this notion of be clear about what it is a buyer looks for when they're looking at your business because, you know, often I will get hear the stories and that's part of the history of the business, right? I understand that and it mm. needs to be there. How, why the thing was built, how it was built, you know, some of the trials and tribulations of what you went through as you were building it. But right now that history is one thing and as long as it's a clean history, then that's great because it gives the business substance and it certainly gives it longevity. But me as a buyer, what I'm actually interested in is how I can take it and do something with it in the future. Mm -hmm. So the slant from a business owner's point of view is to really be able to prove the sustainability of what I'm proposing in the future. Mm. So things like recurring revenue is really good for something like that because it is proving as far as you can yeah, because there's always obviously things that come out of nowhere, but proving as far as you can that there is no reason why that monthly chunk of money shouldn't be coming in every month because it has for the past, you know, however long. Yes. But just because I'm not there doesn't mean that that'll stop. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So how is it that I can prove that the sustainability of what is going to go forward is there when I'm not actually in the chair? which is then about taking you out of the mix, you as in the, the owner, taking you out of the mix, not having it revolve around you. So I think, you know, ways to do that would be either with maybe some key staff or you could go virtual with any of that or you, you know, the catch cries, the productize what you do. Mm-hmm. But ways that prove to me or that I can utilise as a buyer that I don't have to have you sitting in the chair in order Mm. to do it. And so this proof of sustainability is really quite a biggie. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies now, all the smaller businesses are looking at membership sites because that's an ongoing revenue. But obviously you do need to create new content, whether it be on a monthly basis or however the membership site is, is set up. And I could imagine if someone's looking at has similar expertise in in the area of services that that you're offering, they could certainly be looking at, you know, maybe taking that that over. And so then it kind of, I don't know, getting them to be introduced to your membership database so that they start to get to know, like, and trust that that new owner. So there's, I guess, different strategies that you then look at to say, look, this is how this could work. It is. So there's a good case in point whereby when you're in gross mode and you're in the middle of it, one of your key activities is to keep building that site and getting more and more people on there, right? Mm-hmm. But once you put your exit hat on, then it's about how do I lock that in, whether it's me or somebody else. Yes. And the other thing that I would also be looking for is that 
ideally I don't want to see a really big bounce rate on your membership side either. Mm-hmm. So what I don't want is somebody that comes in for three months and then goes away, mm. right? I want somebody that comes in for 12 months have locked in for the next 12. Yes. And what that's indicating to me is, yes, members' circumstances also change. I understand that. But what that's indicating to me as a buyer is the quality of the output that you're putting out to your market, Mm. yeah, because I might be able to get you to sign up from a membership site perspective. I really like what you do. You know, your members really like what you do. They're prepared to sign up. They're prepared to put their credit card on the line and give you a monthly fee because they really liked how it was sold. But if, they, if there's a constant succession of people dropping off after a few months, then I as a buyer would be questioning the value of what you've then built that sits behind that. Mm. So it's another indicator for me as to how robust this thing will work when I take it over. Yeah, that all yeah. of a sudden you don't have hundreds or so exiting the building and there's my yeah. little puppy in the background. So Yeah, we like, we like <laughs> yeah. assistance. I think he agrees with that. Yes, it needs yeah. to add value. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the lessons then that you've learned selling other people's businesses? Yeah, one of the key questions I now ask and I actually ask it very often is what will you do next? Interesting. You as the owner who is about to sell, I ask over and over again, what are you going to do next? Because if I don't get a really good, robust answer, then I have a reluctance to put a buyer in front of them because they haven't thought this through. Mm-hmm. And the reason that concerns me is, it, and I have had this happen previously, is where they sabotage a potential sale yes. unintentionally, but mm-hmm. nonetheless it happens because they haven't actually thought through what they do next. Mm. It's a little bit, you know, you, you hear about it from a retirement point of view where yes. somebody retires from work and then they're going to play golf every day. Well, you know, give it a week and that's worn off, right? <laughs> okay, give it two weeks and yes. that's worn off. So that's really important from the business owner's perspective. But it's also really important from the buyer's perspective because I, as a buyer, what I want to hear is that you have good, solid plans of doing something completely different with your life so then I know that you won't want to start sticking your nose in mm-hmm. where either in the business you've just sold me or that you're going to run off and do something else similar. Yeah. yeah? That's a really great question. I mean, I would not have thought of it, but it makes so much sense that, oh, well, I'm actually going to be opening a new business, which is going to be a competitor of yours. You don't want to be hearing that. That's it. And so from a sellability point of view, I can tick off all the boxes, right? I can look at what we've discussed already, tick, 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 right? Mm -hmm. I can know where that all sits. But the key question is what the owner is going to do because – And that's as much for them as for anyone else. If they haven't thought this through, they run the risk of life kind of unravelling, especially if it's a business. You know, I've got businesses that I've sold that are, say, 20, even my own was 15 years old. Yes. But others that are, you know, 20, 25 years old. Now, that has been a member of the family right? That is the another person, if you like, at the dining room table. It's taken up time, love, money, you name it. It's put kids through school. It's mm-hmm. paid for a house, whatever the case may be. And then, and so if you don't do the hard work 
about how you're going to replace that. And it's very much about, you know, that notion that you can be quite different when you're moving away from something as opposed to when you're going towards something. Absolutely. Right? So that notion that if you haven't worked out what you're going towards, that pulling away part can be incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. Especially if your identity, you know, for for service-based, if if your expertise has been around that, you've nurtured it to what it is today – you know, that's part of your identity and often a very strong part for us. Our businesses, are, you know, take up so much of our time and energy and we, we're passionate about what we do. Absolutely. And that's the thing. You know, if I, if I said to you I was going to cut off your right arm, you'd look at me a bit ridiculously. <laughs> but it is a major, major part. And yet it's not given nearly as much as consideration as I would like. Mm. And isn't because that I interesting see, I see that that is? Of it, you know, yeah. I see... I see owners kind of crumble when they realise because you can get, it's the same old thing, you know, whereby you can get the transaction, you can get people talking, you can get, yeah, this is a great idea, great idea. Mm-hmm. But unless they can sign the contract of sale and physically pull the trigger on this, mm. that's all it's ever going to be. Yeah. You know, we talk about it. And, and so you really have to have a reason to want to sign that contract. Yes. Another thing that comes to mind, and I'm sure this is something that you talk over with the sellers, is if you hear potential buyers also sit there and and just between the two of them, if there's a few people in in that uh, buyer's party, start to talk about certain plans and, and changes they may do. As a seller, you need to be quiet. You do not want to have your emotions in there. It's kind of like, you know, when you sell a house and people come in and go, oh, we'll paint the walls here and we might take out that wall or just do some renovations. And you kind of think, no, you're not going to take down that wall. I mean, you really do need to disconnect yourself from that whole situation, don't you? Absolutely. absolutely. And then, so there's, there are a number of parallels between selling a home and selling your business. Mm. But the one key difference is that when you're selling your home, generally speaking, whoever's looking to buy it can do quite comparable research whereby, you know, if you have a three-bedroom house in Heidelberg, most they're generally around about the same price. So you can get a history in that on it. Mm. With a business, though, every single business is different. It might on, this, on the outside look like it fits into a ter- certain niche or a certain slot, and it does. But what is underneath the hood, you know, what is going on in the background are completely different for Mm -hmm. a whole, you know, whether it be the owner, whether it be the systems, like they're all really, really quite different. And so to be able to then, I guess, do the renovation, if you like, and make it appealing to a buyer and the reason that I set it up the way I did was for my own personal use, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, so I also have to be okay with potential buyers not only trashing the fact that they don't like my wall, but they're starting to get into, could be potentially getting into some really quite personal commentary. Yes. And it is what it is. And you're absolutely right. You have to be able to just take it for what it's worth, right? Take it for what it is. But you have to be okay with that. And you have to be okay with somebody else sleeping in bed. <laughs> Yes. You know. You have to be able to be comfortable. It's it's a really hard thing to be able to let go of. Yeah, especially, as you said, if your business has been such a long part 
of your life. So now what about family businesses? Do they have to have, you know, other things that they need to consider? Well, yes. I mean, certainly from, let's say, the parents, the generation that's currently running the business, don't have the conversation about the future of the business nearly early enough. Mm. That would be certainly be one key or one, yeah, key kind of concern, really. The second thing that we're starting to see is whereby the conversation's kind of been had and it's kind of been determined that the next generation don't want it, right? But then you go talk to the current generation and they're saying, well, I'm just going to keep working it because I've always, you know, because I want to and you'll have to take me out in a box is kind of a comment that we hear in, in various forms, you know, I'll, I'll be here till I die kind of thing. Yes. Um, but what's happened is is that if they then don't have not made any provisions or made any put any kind of exit strategies in place, the children who don't want it will end up with it anyway. Mm. Right? And then what happens? Because if the exit strategies haven't been put in place, the children or the next generation who receive it, who didn't want it, want it even less so now and they're in the middle of grief, oh, Yeah. right, what happens to the business? Yeah. Okay. Now the parents, the first generation, the current generation, will be thinking, okay, I'm, you know, this is part of the legacy, this is part of the income, this is part of the estate that I'm leaving my children. Mm-hmm. But if something is not done with that business immediately when it still has the value that it has and the children are in the middle of grief or whatever and they really it's the last thing they actually want to look at and by the time they look at it, if they haven't put a caretaker in there, the value that was in that thing has been lost anyway. Yeah, you could do some pretty serious damage to the business if no one's managing and taking care of it, for sure. Yeah, that's right. So so this notion of an exit strategy for family is equally, equally as important and can be difficult, equally as difficult, but for kind of for different reasons or different outcomes, but uh, still incredibly important to be having. And quite often... No, certainly in cases where you've got the second generation wanting to have the conversation with the current and they don't want to talk about it, as the second generation, they actually need to have their own exit strategy for the business in place Mm. so that there's trigger points, you know. So, you know, the very sad occasion where the current owners might be taken out in the box that they've actually got in place trigger points where things will happen because Mm -hmm. they had already set it up previously. Yeah. And you know what? In all honesty, I mean, who has got an exit strategy that should happen? But it's so important because, you know, It's a bit like having the will discussion, right? Yes. don't have it, but Mm -hmm. you have to do it. You do. I mean, can you imagine if you've got this really successful business, well, what happens in that that situation? Um, And not only for you and your family... But also for your clients. Exactly. You think about it. If you're servicing and you have been servicing a list of clients for a long time, well, it doesn't actually matter how long. But if they want you in their business assisting them with what you do mm. and then you don't turn up, how is that helpful? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know you can't help that if you actually drop off the mortal coil. But mm. if you don't actually have backup plans, 
then you're actually letting down the people you want to help. Yes. And there's a, you know, a terrible turmoil that whoever does need to pick up the pieces and, and continue or deal with that would need to do. And so, you know, it, it's certainly a terrible situation for everyone and anyone who's left to, in you know, whether a client or whether someone from your family needs to That's step exactly in. That's exactly right. This is why estate planning is so important from a personal perspective. But there almost needs to be a, a business planning around events that you don't have control over. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, exactly. So, Denise, this has been just so very helpful and it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know and just from some of the things that you've spoken about and shared today, it's like, oh, my goodness, never really thought about that. So for people who have now recognised, okay, I need to really take action on that, find out more, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, so... If you go to my website called theentrepreneurialmother.com.au, there's a whole raft of information on there and you can certainly sign up and receive a a 60-page manifesto that I've put together about how to actually even start thinking about this stuff from a business owner's point of view. Mm -hmm. And my contact details are there and so forth. But if you go to The Entrepreneurial Mother, please spell that properly, (laughs) (laughs) .com.au, then you'll find me. Or you could actually Google Denise Hall and you'll find me. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Denise. We'll put all of your contact details there. It certainly has given us food for thought, very important food for thought. We do not want to be in a situation where, yeah, we haven't thought of these things and the potential for being able to create a business that is saleable after all of the hard work we've put in. So thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Anytime. And if this is the first time that you are listening to the show, welcome. It has been an honour to to spend a bit of time with you each week. We have another guest expert to share their wisdom with you so that you can continue to develop and grow and even exit a successful business. So subscribe to our iTunes channel, ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash AES iTunes. And we look forward to uh, connecting with you again next week. Bye for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.